Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma. And on this week's episode, I'm uh, recording this interview at Slush in Helsinki at the Google Cloud for Startups booth. And I'm speaking with Abby Meyer, who is the CEO and co-founder of Travelperk. Uh, it was a great conversation to have uh, with Abby as Travelperk have been the fastest growing SaaS company in Europe for the past two years. So we learn how his business has changed in that time. If there was any particular stage of their recent growth that's been particularly tough to manage. We also talk about the challenges of scaling travel perks so quickly and the biggest lessons that Abby has learned from these. So a great opportunity here to listen from one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in Europe. Now let's listen to Abby on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Thank show. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, so my guest today is uh, Abby Meyer. Mayor. Uh, Mayor. Yeah. Uh, I was close. Uh, uh, Co-founder and CEO of, of Travelper. Welcome, Abby. Thank you very much for inviting me. No, it's great. Well, it's uh, again, initiative by Google Cloud for, for startups where we are at Slush in, uh, in Helsinki. Is it your first time at Slush? It is. First yeah. time in uh, Helsinki, actually. Okay. Great city. Love it. it. Yeah. Uh, the weather a little bit different from Barcelona? It's a bit darker. Yeah. It's a bit darker. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> very good. And um, you... You spoke earlier uh, yes. today, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what did you speak about? So I actually spoke about this whole idea that we as product people need to think, uh, and I say product people in a, in a kind of a broad definition of the term, you know, could be a product manager, but also a founder or an investor uh, who invests in products, that we need to think about our teams and manage the teams the, way we think, the, way, the same way we think about our products. So that was... Uh, the idea of the talk. My team is my product. Okay, uh, and and so I mean today we're we're really going to talk about the the, the growth of, of Travelport, which yeah. has been you know pretty hyper growth. But before we get into that, um, let's tell the audience you know who you are as a as as, as a human being, <laughs> um, and um, uh, also yeah you know Travelport for those that haven't heard of you you know what it does, why you have founded the company. Sure. Okay. So I, I you know when I introduce myself, I, I keep saying here's the short version of a long story, and then I end up giving the long version of a long story. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> let's see if I can make it concise. Um, first, I'm, I'm a father and, and a husband. I have two great kids and a great wife um, back home in Barcelona. I'm from Israel originally, a technical background. So I started coding when I was very young and was always passionate about uh, technology and about systems and understanding the underlying kind of first principles of how things work. And found myself in Barcelona around 10 years ago uh, went for you know, I studied at, at uh, Yese, which is a great business school there. That's how, uh, ma like many other foreigners in Barcelona, I ended up being there. Didn't imagine that we'll stay there for so long, but the city is so great. And, you know, we mentioned the weather, so weather, the quality of life, the people. Uh, my wife is from France. I'm from, from Israel, from Ertzelia, which is next to Tel Aviv. And we found Barcelona to be a good place in the middle, culturally, geographically, weather-like. So we just like it there. And Travelpark is actually my, uh, the third startup I'm involved in, uh, in, in Barcelona. First one was Budget Places, where I was an employee, always in travel. I was always in travel. Uh, and then the second one was Hotel Ninjas that I co-founded with uh, Christian Enestrom, who went to school with me. We sold that company to Booking.com mm -hmm. back in 2014. Stayed with Booking for a year. Loved the company. It's a great company, great culture. But I had, the, you know, I, I was infected by the, by the entrepreneurship bug and I had to uh, jump ship and start my, my next startup together with Javier uh, Suarez and Ron Levin, 
to start Travelperk in 2015. And Travelperk is uh, basically fixing business travel. Business travel is a huge market, it's $1.5 trillion uh, globally that companies spent on travel. And it has basically two categories uh, of how companies can manage their travel, and these two categories do not work. Uh, the one category, around 40% of that 1.5 trillion, is called managed. And the idea there is you use a travel agent, which nobody really likes and wants any anymore these days. It's inefficient, it's expensive, you don't get the full uh, inventory of flights and hotels and car rental and rail that you need. And the other category, the 60% remaining, is chaos. It's going on consumer travel websites that are meant for holidays and trying to kind of use that holiday website for your business trips, which creates uh, a different set of problems, especially around payment and invoicing and travel policy, uh, compliance, uh, reporting, data, all of that stuff doesn't exist when you think about a leisure, by definition, when you think about a holiday uh, uh, product or holiday travel product. And what's also missing there is service. And you know, when things go wrong, and they always do when you travel, especially for work, your flight is canceled, there is a strike, and always, like, I don't know why, but always the French air controllers are to blame for any delay you have for any flight anywhere to anywhere in the world. Um, something goes wrong, who do you contact when you book directly with a with the uh, leisure travel website, uh, the answer is it's very tough to get good level of, of help and, and assistance. So basically you have two categories and neither works, so we said, well that's interesting, it's a huge market and we can solve the problem with a good technology and a good product, so let's do that. And we created Travelpack to do exactly that. Our approach is, we call it a consumer grade platform because the real quality in travel is in the consumer side. So it's a consumer grade platform uh, and you have an all-in-one approach, we have an all-in-one approach which means that you only have to speak with us, you only have to use our platform to book anything you want, flights, hotels, uh, car rental, rail. We have a very deep content, for example, UK Rail, you can book your Gatwick Express or Heathrow Express. You can go from Manchester to Brighton uh, with us and you can book everything on our platform. And it co it's combined with a 24-7 in-house support team, travel agency team, basically. These are employees of Travelperk in our office in Barcelona that help you so you have one side the product and one side the service, and together it creates a really compelling offering. The um, the, the SAS 1000 uh, list has uh, has named Travelperk for the last two years as the fastest growing SAS company, I think initially in Europe and now perhaps on, yeah. uh, on, on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so can you give us a little bit uh, of some, some data points or metrics uh, around this this uh, you know hyper growth? Uh, so two years ago. How many employees, if you care to share, you, you know, any revenue or even just year-on-year -year sort of growth, uh, you know, w w what is the growth being like for, for those uh, 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 listening? Yeah, so, so uh, it's, it's interesting. Actually, I spoke with one of my investors uh, this week. We had like a nostalgia moment, yeah. you know, and, and we spoke. He invested in our Series A, which was in May 2016. Like, so we are today in November 19, so that's three and a half years ago we invested. And I sent him a screenshot from our, from our internal Slack where we were celebrating at that time, we, um, um, we were celebrating uh, two bookings in a day, two trips booked in a day. We are now doing thousands uh, in a day, right? So just kind of uh, to give you uh, s some indication, we grew around 200x in, in revenue since he invested. Um, so yeah, we've been growing very fast in revenue, been growing we didn't have any quarter where we grow less than 3x year on year on revenue, on ARR. So if, if your typical kind of way to unicorn in a SaaS is triple, triple, double, 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 we are uh, outperforming that yeah. by, by, some, by some margin. 
And uh, what what is the headcount um, like over that time? What did you grow, how much have you grown from you know yeah. three three years ago to uh, how many employees do you have today? Right. So well, we started only less than five years ago with three co-founders. Today we are uh, more than 410 mm -hmm. um, employees, uh, full-time employees in the company. We have some uh, some uh, freelancers and, and providers, so total the team is around 500 uh, overall. And most of these people joined in the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. right, so that's uh, also interesting. So we doubled the size of the team in the last 12 months, which is pretty challenging. That's yeah. a big part of what I talked about here today at the conference is yeah. how do you do that? How do you scale your team in a way that doesn't completely destroy your culture. Yeah, and we, 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 we're going to dive into that uh, yeah. as well uh, and, and those challenges. And, and then just to sort of wrap it, like how much, uh, so you're, you're venture backed, as you said, like you yeah. raised your series A a couple of years ago. Um, what, uh, I guess, funding round are you on at the moment? How much capital have you raised in total? So we raised total around $150 million mm -hmm. um, in, in three rounds, well, seed and then three rounds after that, A, B, and C. Uh, our investors are great European and American and, and Israeli-based investors. We have uh, the last round was led by uh, the DST partners, you know, Yuri Milner and Tom Stafford out of out of London. Uh, Chinovic um, led the co-led the C round, and we have earlier stage company, uh, you know, uh, VCs like. Uh, let's see if I don't forget anybody because then I'll be pissed off. Target Global, Felix Capital, Sunstone that now is called Hardcore. Uh, we have Amplo. We have Spark. We have uh, a few others that are a bit under the radar. And then our seed was actually, uh, we, we were seeded by Local Globe. Uh, we were actually the first seed investment of Local Globe. Okay. Uh, Sol and Robin Klein and George were. were awesome, a good, yeah. good, good investment for, uh, for, for them. Yeah. Um, great people. Uh, and, and, and so you mentioned like you, you've doubled in size, doubled in headcount over the, the last couple of years. And, and this is obviously what you've spoken today at, at Slush. So let's talk about some of the, the, these, cha these challenges, right? Um, how, has, how has it been uh, like to manage this growth, you know, for you as a CEO, or, you know, and Travel Perk as, uh, as a company, right? Double in size in one year, um, you, you know, 250 people, or whatever. It, that, it's got to be tough. Right? It's, uh, it's what, you know, I, I, like many, like all Israelis, most, most Israelis, I've been in the army, right? And, and so everything is kind of relativized to, okay. to that, but it's still the scariest experience in my life. Like this is pretty, pretty crazy, right? Um, you, you constantly feel that you don't know what you're doing mm -hmm. as a CEO, and you tr constantly trying to learn faster than the company is growing. Mm -hmm. That's a very challenging, uh, yet very uh, interesting and rewarding experience. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, it's pretty scary. H how do you do that? How do you learn faster than the company grows? I think you have, you have to be really deliberate in learning. Right? So I think one of the biggest uh, uh, risks is, you know, especially after like four years, three, four years, um, you know, Jason Lemkin talks a lot about like the fatigue that you get into after four or five years. You definitely feel that, and you have to be very deliberate in in, in not letting go of your learning and, and your, your you know, of your motivation to, to improve yourself and, and, and know more next month than what you knew last month. So that's one aspect: is constantly being very motivated um, to learn and open to to you know to admit and to accept that you don't know something. Uh, and also finding great people, right? Finding an amazing team around us that um, is pushing me. Uh, so our leadership team and the rest of the team right, are, are just fantastic people. And they are constantly pushing me to do better, to learn something that I don't know, or to behave in a different way, or uh, you know, to think more strategically and less tactically. Right? So this kind of stuff comes a lot from the team. So admitting that uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the room anymore, uh, it was the case when I was just alone in the room, right? but second you have another person in the room, hopefully you're not anymore the smartest person in the room, 
especially when you have close to 500 people. Uh, and it's tough to admit, you know, like we founders are very competitive and you have to be a bit crazy and a, and a bit over self-confident to start a company, I think. So admitting that uh, you don't know what, you, you don't know what you don't know and sometimes you know something that you don't know, right? These are two very different things, but you have to admit that and then hire to fill the gap and be open to, uh, uh, to, to accept the, the, the fact that you have to learn something, you have to get better. What have you, uh, you know, sort of put in place when you uh, when you're looking at okay the the 12 months ahead and you're saying okay well we're we're going to double in size you know um, in, in terms of headcount and what did you like put into place uh, to get yourselves kind of ready for this? What are the kind of processes and systems that have enabled you to kind of grow without I, I guess breaking? Yeah. So it's it's a great question because it's tough. <laughs> So the reality is, in terms of processes, we're still building a lot. Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing we have put in place before we started scaling the team was the culture. You know, and culture is, is in many ways, people mistake culture with, you know, do we want to grab beer together? That's not culture. That's, you know, do we want to be friends? Which is great, but it's different. Culture, in my opinion, goes much deeper into that. And, you know, if, if uh, the listeners haven't read Jim Collins, uh, you know, good to great, and everything, by the way, everything else that Jim Collins wrote, just fantastic stuff, um, they should. Jim Collins talks about um, the culture of a company um, as, as uh, one very important aspect of it being your core values of your company. Core values as in the values that you will stick to them, you'll stick to these values even if it means that you're getting penalized, even if it means that you're losing something. But it's easy to stick to a value if you gain something out of it. But let's say that you believe in honesty and you have an opportunity to make more money by being dishonest to your customers. Do you then become dishonest to make more money? If the answer is yes, that's not a core value. Honesty is not your core value. If you give up the, the business, give up the, the revenue, just to stick to your value, then that's a core value. That's potentially a core value. So culture uh, in our book is, the culture of the company is the overlap of core values of the individuals. So my core values and, 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 and uh, Elisa with us here for marketing, her core values, and everybody in the company, they write down their core values. They could write down their own core values as people, and you're looking for an overlap. And the overlap is what makes the culture. So one thing we did put in place to answer your question very early is first this deliberate thinking about what are our core values as people, and then in consequence, what are the core values of the company, of Traubert? And hiring for core values, hiring for that, right? So that's what we call culture. When we say cultural fit interview, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for your core values. For example, we are in the travel industry, in the services uh, or hospitality, I should say, uh, world, and we like to to provide an amazing service. We call it the first value in our list of five is the seven star experience to our customers, to our travelers, and to the team. Seven star experience. So we're looking in an interview with a candidate, you will get one, two, sometimes five interviews asking you specific questions around that, around the moments where you provided great service. Right? And even a developer, you could think, wait, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a developer, I don't provide service. Well, you do, right? Because you have customers internally, product managers, and product managers are other customers. So in HR, you have internal customers. So you always have customers that uh, use the product of your work and then we try to see if you are happy, if you are taking pride in providing great service. Not good service, 
great service. That's why it's seven star, not five star. Five star is great, good. Seven is, is fantastic, right? So we're looking for that. So we're very deliberate in, in the hiring process in finding cultural fits, which means we share the same, or some of the values. You, you cannot always have 100% match, but do we have more than 50% match of core values? And by the way, if you don't match, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that we don't, we don't have a cultural fit, which is okay, right? We're looking for that. And then we are also very um, strict in letting go people that are, we are a mistake in terms of cultural fit. So you can be an amazing salesperson, but if we see that you are not happy providing service and you're treating your customers badly, which is, of course, like it's an easy example, but you can have more subtle cases, then you might find yourself or the person might find themselves out, out of the company um, solely based on values. They could be achieving quota every single quarter, but we don't, they don't stick around if they don't have a cultural fit. So I think that's a really important tool that we have as we scale is being very deliberate about the culture and about who gets who joins uh, the ride and who leaves the bus when, when uh, there isn't a fit. How, how often are you kind of testing to see if the <coughs> your team, your employees, is still living out the the values of uh, of the company? I, I spoke with uh, John Thompson, um, who was the founder of User Replay, uh, so sort of recently, and he's a, like a SaaS advisor. And I hope he doesn't mind me uh, uh, telling this sort of like anecdote. But uh, I remember he said when he was the CEO of User Replay. Um, that he would go and sort of like make coffee and you know speak to uh, whoever's there in the kitchen and kind of like test them like if, uh, you know on some of the values like it's still the living oh, okay this person doesn't live the values okay then they're gonna go but um, it, what, what do you do uh, and like what kind of frequency are you testing is it always to see you know are these people living out the values or every quarter is there you know something that you do uh, so of course we have um, you know formal uh, performance review where you, you get scored on, on, on culture fit, on values, yep. every six months. But that's just a, a detail. I think the reality is it's constant and it's every day. Yep. It's just a part of how we operate. And it's not me testing uh, everybody else. It's everybody testing each other yep. and, and, and not even testing, uh, encouraging uh, to, to follow the values, right? So I would say something, uh, you know, maybe you know, adding some kind of fee somewhere, uh, suggesting that. And somebody from the team will tell me, well, is that really seven star? Like, are we providing seven star here? Or uh, I would talk about, you know, so anybody can say something and, and somebody will say, well, the second value is impact over effort. So we really are focused on the impact to the end user mm -hmm. versus the, the effort. Effort is just an input, but it's yeah. not what you're looking for as an output. So I would say something and, it, and it, somebody will tell me, well, impact over effort. Let, let's do that because that's where the impact is. And what you're suggesting just looks good because it's a lot of hard work or you develop something pretty cool technically, but there is no impact there. So we're actually constantly reminding ourselves in behavior um, and testing every decision we make in the company, business decision or technical decision, against these values. So it's something that we're just very strong in our culture. What, what, what has been the biggest challenges for you like during uh, the, the, the growth of Travelport? Yeah. So many things, I guess. But um, I guess one of the most challenging, given how strong the culture is and how important it is for, for our growth, how do you keep the culture, first, as you grow by number of people? So it's easy to, to see all of that when you are 5 or 10 or 20 uh, people in the same room. How do you do that when you are close to 500 across different locations in the same city? How do you do that when you're across different locations you know, in other countries? We have offices in Berlin and London, for example. Very soon we hope to announce another one outside of Europe. How do you, uh, how do, you do that? How do you keep the, the, the visibility? into people's actions and, and how does it match the culture when you are 
um, uh, disperse uh, geographically when you have so many people. So I think that's one of the most difficult things uh, for us, the, the scaling, especially geography and number of people, and then trying to keep the culture strong while we scale. What, what do you wish that you'd known at the beginning that you know now? Yeah, so it's, it may sound obvious, right? And, and I apologize to the listeners if it does. To me, it wasn't, right? So it's always obvious once you're actually, you know, after the fact. But having um, an ambassador, a cultural ambassador in every office that we open uh, is key, right? So this is a, a team member that moved to the office for a long period of time, you know, let's say six months or more. So it's not just a visit. And especially if you hire the, the team locally, right? So we have an office in London, we hire mostly locally. Uh, Berlin is the same. So most of the people in, in, in the team, actually most uh, these, these teams were not people that moved out of, you know, out of Barcelona to the offices. We hired locally for country manager and the people there. And you create, or we created this kind of sense of disconnect between the regional office and headquarters. And the best way to compensate with that was to have someone from Barcelona, from the headquarters, who really gets the culture, sit in the office and work with them every single day. So that's something I wish I knew before because then you can really accelerate uh, the, uh, uh, the growth with the right culture. If you have people, uh, it's, it's kind of ambassadors, moving from Barcelona, from the headquarters to the offices, at least for six months. Your, your role now as a CEO, I imagine, obviously very different from what it yeah. was a few years ago. Um, what do you do now, uh, like, uh, I guess, sort of this year on a day-to-day -day sort of like basis, you know, how, or, or a weekly basis, you know, how are you spending your time? Obviously, speaking at uh, mega conferences like, like Slush and uh, hopefully Sassnock next year. Um, but uh, like, aside from that, you, you know, what, are you, um, uh, what is your role entail? So mostly people, right? So I think... Uh, so, so I started, when we started the company, uh, I was writing code, mm -hmm. right? So most of my time was, was, was building the product together with the rest of the team. The team jokes about, they still have some of my code live, not a lot, but some of it. Uh, and they call it AviCode, uh, not in a good way. <laughs> so they have a, a mission to get rid of AviCodes eventually. So I'm, a, I'm an okay developer, but not great. Uh, so I was at the beginning writing all of code and, 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 and building the product and pivoted over time to manage the team, which means mostly uh, dealing with people, right? So one-on-one uh, -on -one with direct reports, team meetings. We're doing, for example, uh, a breakfast uh, roundtable every week, uh, inviting six people uh, to join me for breakfast and talk about uh, like, a, like a product retrospective, so talk about things they would like to keep in the company, things they would like to improve. So really listening to the people, talking with them, trying to help with the strategy. But strategy is, is um, it, it's easy to write it, it's very difficult to implement it if the people don't follow that, right? Mm. So I see my role as, as taking that strategy and making sure people understand why we're doing something and what are, what are the data, how, we, how does the future look like, and helping them kind of get there. What's, what's the secret to uh, becoming the fastest growing SaaS company um, uh, for, for, for those that maybe want to aspire to, to do the same? It's a dangerous question yeah. because I don't have a big <laughs> sample size, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think that, especially Europeans, we have to be a bit more, European startups, we have to be a bit more aggressive in our, in our goals, right? Um, we are not building this company to sell it. We're not building it to, um, to stay. I, I don't have anything against lifestyle businesses, but that's not what we are. Mm -hmm we have as an ambition. And our friends in uh, you know, other SaaS companies in, in, in the US, for example, in Silicon Valley, or even in Tel Aviv, where, where I'm from, uh, start with a much more aggressive um, 
um, goal for themselves as a company. So I think being aggressive, uh, not being afraid of making bets, I mean educated bets, but making bets and spending money on, on these bets is important. Having said that, I think we just got really lucky, especially when it gets to funding, because you have to do, I mean, we are not a profitable business today, um, obviously, so how do you fund it is with, you know, VCs and good VCs, and we're, we're you know, th those I mentioned at the beginning, great partners, all of them. So, so we got lucky in the sense that 10 years ago, it was very difficult to raise Series A, even Series B, for a Barcelona-based uh, you know, startup, maybe even a Berlin or London-based startup, right? Was maybe London was slightly easier, but not easy, right? And uh, the world has changed, and you have more and more top-tier VCs globally that come to Europe to uh, meet startups, especially in the early, uh, early stages. Uh, not the seed necessarily, but A and B, definitely. Uh, so we got lucky, but I think this is an environment now that is great for um, very ambitious founders. And then if you're ambitious and if you have uh, the funding or, or the way to get to the funding, which you know, is, is a different podcast I'm happy to, to, uh, to talk about in, in another time, then the limit is how aggressive you are. And uh, I think being very aggressive since day one and still being very aggressive today has helped us a lot. I believe you, you've got sort of strong views about kind of like work-life balance. Uh, I'm pretty sure I, I, yeah. I read an article uh, like, you, you know, I don't know if it's nine to five, but, you, you know, you don't believe in working 24 hours a day and, you know, a CEO that doesn't have any sleep, right? Because, yeah. uh, and that sort of culture. So can you just uh, elaborate your viewpoints uh, uh, around? That? Yeah, so, so I, I, mean, I started with, with, like everybody else, like, you know, working from dusk to dawn, literally, and, and, and Barcelona has a long uh, day, right? Yeah. So, uh, literally from, from, from dusk to dawn. And I realized, not quickly actually, I should have realized that quicker, that I'm personally not being very efficient mm -hmm. if I don't, for example, get sleep. Yeah. Sounds obvious, right? But, but I used to sleep for four, maybe five hours a day. I have uh, two young kids, um, and, and I, I want to be present also for them, and so, you know, if the, if the baby wakes up and cries, you know, I would go and uh, uh, if my wife is listening, maybe she doesn't uh, agree that I was the <laughs> one waking up, but I was definitely waking up sometimes. So, so ended up sleeping, you know, four hours, five hours in a good night and realizing that I'm not really efficient mm -hmm. during the day. I cannot focus. I cannot think high level. I'm not very pleasant as a yep. person, right? Um, so I realized that it's not helping anybody. I'm not productive. I, I, I had like this fake sense of productivity by working until 2 or 3 a.m. Every, every single day. So it came out of, of, of just uh, my own experience. Um, reading also a great book, uh, Deep Work. I think the author is called Carl Newport. Yeah, it's on my desk. I haven't read it though. You should read it. Yeah. It's actually scary. The first, yeah. the first half of the book is scaring you why you are doing everything wrong. And then the other half is telling you how to do it better. Okay. Right? So, so it's a great book. I recommend it to everybody uh, to read. So yeah, I mean, just my personal experience and, and kind of reading and, and kind of seeing uh, around. And also losing the fear of admitting that, yes, I sleep. I try to sleep seven, eight hours now. Yes, I spend time with my family on the weekend. I don't work on the weekends unless I really have to. So uh, losing the fear of admitting it, which maybe comes also because you, know, you raise money, so you have to kind of uh, pretend a bit less uh, compared to the early days. Right? And I think many people pretend to be productive by working 18 hours or 16 hours you know, every day, but it's not really that productive and I'm not really full on like deep working the whole, the whole time. So losing the fear plus realizing that it's not working for me. So yeah, switch to, uh, I don't know how to define, I don't, I don't think it's work-life balance. It's more like a merge, right? So if I need to leave early and, and pick up my kids from, 
from kindergarten at 4 p.m. Sometimes, you know, I would do it. And then if I need to work sometimes uh, late, I will do that, right? So it's like your life, and if you enjoy what you're doing, like it's not a problem, right? Your life and your work kind of merges, your personal life and professional life merges into this, this thing, you know, this week that goes and you sometimes do tasks for work, sometimes you do tasks for home. And you just, I think you just feel better and you can do it for much longer if you're happy also, if you're uh, uh, well-rested, if you have a good um, you know, family or social life outside of work. So I think it's just better for, for the long term. You don't burn out like this as a founder. Uh, and that's sound advice. And aside from like, you know, uh, trying to get seven or eight hours sleep a night, what do you do to kind of stay healthy and sane? Um, yeah, I try to work out, yeah. uh, <laughs> not very successfully. Uh, I have a, a great friend, advisor, investor called Johannes Reck. He's the founder of, of Get Your Guide. It's uh, a travel company out of Berlin, mm -hmm. doing amazingly well. Uh, he, and he's a marathon runner, so he, he trains every single morning with a person. He wakes up at like 5 a.m. to train. Like he's, he's crazy. Um, so I wish, I, I don't do that yet. Uh, I do go to the gym. Uh, but for me, it's mostly about spending time with my family yeah. and kind of disconnecting from work during the weekend. Uh, it's definitely helping me uh, remain sane, uh, keeping close contact with a small group of friends. And, uh, and also not trying to always uh, be in control. Uh, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but letting go, delegating, uh, accepting that sometimes things will not be done 100% to my liking, but it actually helps you kind of uh, not be, not have, you don't have to be on top of every single detail. So I think this definitely helps you be at least more sane. I don't know if, if uh, healthier, but yeah. more sane, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, Abby, uh, thanks for being such a great guest, uh, guest on the, uh, the SaaS Revolution sh uh, show today. And um, yeah, hopefully see you at, uh, at SaaS Talk next year. I'll be happy to come. Thank okay. you very much. Thanks Cheers. Very much. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution show with myself, Alex Thuma, and my guest, Abby Mayer, co-founder and CEO of Travel Perk. Hopefully you learned some important lessons about fast-growing SaaS companies and the challenges to manage that growth. If you like this episode, please review and rate us over at iTunes or wherever you may uh, subscribe. And we'll see you next time.